Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AgroInnovations.com podcast, where we deal with all things related and debated in agriculture, from appropriate technology to fair trade to globalization and organics. In our final podcast on community-supported agriculture, we speak with Elizabeth Henderson, author of the book Sharing the Harvest. Elizabeth has visited scores of CSAs around the country and is also an organic farmer and a CSA pioneer. Thanks for joining us. Elizabeth Henderson is next. Hello, everybody. This is the AgroInnovations.com podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Today we are wrapping up our theme of community-supported agriculture. Next series of shows will be focusing on fair trade, specifically fair, fairly traded coffee. But today we are with Elizabeth Henderson, who is uh, one of the founding members of Peacework Organic Farm. And I'd like to start, Elizabeth, by asking you about your background and how you got started. Well, I have been making my living as an organic farmer for over 25 years now. I started farming in Gill, Massachusetts, and at that time, my ambition was really to be a successful homesteader, to keep out of the supermarket and raise food for myself and my family. But I found that I was able to sell enough to cover farm expenses, and bit by bit, it became more of a commercial enterprise. And then when I moved to New York State in 1988 to join David Stern at Rose Valley Farm, we decided that we would try to make that farm a successful commercial venture and show that you could make a successful organic farm that would actually earn a living for the farmers. Tell us about Peacework Organic Farm and its relationship to the CSA model. Okay, well, um, Greg Palmer and I, who had worked together at Rose Valley Farm, Greg came as uh, an apprentice there and then stayed on as the hired hand. Um, Both of us left Rose Valley in 1997, and Greg and I decided that we would try to form a farm partnership if we could find a place to farm. And the members of our CSA, the Genesee Valley Organic CSA, made the commitment that they would continue buying vegetables from us if um, we could find a place to farm. The CSA started at Rose Valley in 1988-1989. And the first year there, there were uh, about 29 families, and it gradually grew to 130 Um, During the interim year of 1998, while Greg and I got started farming at what is now Peacework Organic Farm, there were 100 families who stayed with the project, and they bought their vegetables from four other farms in this area. And we had, from the very beginning, established a system for our community-supported agriculture project where everybody contributed some work, either by working at the farm or helping administer the project. So people took charge of collecting the money, keeping the books, putting out the newsletter, overseeing distribution. 
And the year that Greg and I were starting up the new farm at Peacework in the town of Newark, um, members did their work helping us get started. So some people helped us clean out the old barns. Other people helped us um, first design. An architect did that and then build a greenhouse. Uh, an, an electrician um, provided electrical components for us and had one of his men actually connect us up to the electrical system. So our CSA at Peacework from the beginning had a great deal of member involvement. The way it works now is Peacework is a limited liability company. There are four of us who are farm partners in the farm, Greg Palmer, his wife, Annie Chickering, and a younger woman named Katie Lavin, who spent two years as an apprentice with us and then joined our farm partnership, and then myself. So the four of us farm together, and our LS LLC is a separate legal entity from the CSA, which is a, an, un, an unincorporated association. Uh, the members... Um, have core meetings once a month, and the farm sends representatives to those meetings, and the core is in charge of administering the CSA. So it takes full responsibility for the food once it leaves the farm. And legally, the CSA is contracting with us for a certain amount of food, for enough food for uh, 300 shares. And then once we've produced the food and it leaves the farm, the members are in charge of distributing it. So members who come out to work at the farm drive the food back into the city to the Abundance Cooperative Market, a food co-op, where we rent some space in the back room. And we built a walk-in cooler. And the members who come back from the farm put the food from the farm in that cooler and then later in the afternoon, um, the members come who are in charge of distribution and set the food out on tables, weighing whatever needs to be weighed out in one or two pound um, combinations. And then in the evening, the members come and pick up their shares. About half pick up their shares on Thursdays and the other half on Sundays. And although it might seem that this would be competition for the uh, produce department in the co-op, the store has actually found that it has its best sale nights on the evenings when close to 150 people, families are picking up their shares from the CSA. So the cooperation be between the two cooperatives has worked very well. Okay, so that, that gives us a really good idea of the relationship between uh, Peace Organic Farm and its Peacework Organic Farm and its and its members. How mm -hmm. about the relationship between the farm and the community as a whole? Um, the farm is situated in Wayne County, which is a very rural county, um, thirty-five miles east of the city of Rochester. It's an area where there still is a lot of farming. The county has 900 farms and close to 190,000 acres in farming. And of those 900 farms, 
perhaps 20 are now organic farms. So organic farming makes up a very small percentage of the farming that goes on around here. Uh, in the county, I chair what was initially called the Farmland Protection Board, and which we renamed the Agricultural Development Board. So I've done many years of service to the farming community, and I think that that work is really appreciated through the work of our Ag Development Board. Um, over 3,000 acres in the county have sold their development rights to the state and the federal government, and that is keeping some farms going. We've gotten a revolving loan fund going for farm businesses. The money which came from HUD, uh, $600,000 has gone out in loans and come back again, and now it's going out again. So there are many ways in which the Farmland Protection Board has been helpful to the farming community, and I think people are appreciative of that. So although our farm is unusual, no one else is doing a CSA, and no one else is doing a CSA anything like the way we're doing it, um, we're an accepted part of the farming community. And over the years, the number of local people who belong to the farm and get shares has slowly grown. There are now 40 families who get shares from the farm, and they pick up at the farm. Um, it's harder to sell shares in the CSA to people who have their own gardens and who live in the country, I think, than it is to people who live in the suburbs or in the city where they don't have access to land of their own. So most of the people in the community where you live are farmers or have gardens and don't have as much of a, a direct need to acquire their food through a CSA? That's right. Now, you're also the author of a book that is forthcoming called Sharing the Harvest. Could you talk about the book? Well, Sharing the Harvest was initially published in 1999 by Chelsea Green called Sharing the Harvest, a Guide to Community-Supported Agriculture. And I co-authored it with Robin Van N, who started one of the very first CSAs in this country back in 1986. Robin started writing the book, um, but was having trouble writing, and I was a close friend of hers, and I offered to help. And as we went along, I got writing done, and she just wasn't getting it done. And then um, she finally was getting started when she died of, of asthma. So I took over and completed the book. She had left really just very few notes. And although she had been all around the world visiting the CSAs and talking about CSAs, she had kept no notes of her travels. Um, so I really had to start from scratch on the sections that she was supposed to have written um, but hadn't been able to do. So the, the first edition came out in 1999 and is completely sold out. And this past year, I have been working on an updated version, which will um, 
reach the public this coming fall, so it will be available in the fall of 2007. And in writing the updated version, I went back to the 300 or so CSAs that I had covered in the earlier edition and found out from people what changes had occurred over these eight or nine years. I had at least 100 wonderful conversations with people. It's been really fun um, doing the research for the updated version of the book. And I've also traveled around the country to various conferences and farm tours and visited other CSAs. Um, when I went to visit my son in Portland, Oregon, we had to take a bike trip to visit a CSA that was right near the city. So I've visited as many CSAs as I physically could. Um, I made a special trip to California because they were having a day-long gathering of CSA farms before the eco-farming conference last winter. So I talked with people from maybe 40 CSA farms in California. Um, so this book, Sharing the Harvest, um, is based on the experience of hundreds of CSAs around the country. And I've tried to write the story and compile it in such a way that it would tell the story for people who might just be slightly interested in local organic food or could also serve as a manual for someone who wanted to start or improve a CSA. So tell us about some of the recurring themes or patterns that you've seen as you've um, talked to all these different people involved in these CSAs and visited these different farms that are involved in these CSAs. What are some of the repeating patterns and things that you've seen? Well, for many farms, like my own, doing a CSA has been a way to assure the financial stability of the farm, to get loyal customers who would stick with you and um, buy from you rather than running off to the supermarket. So like farmers markets, CSA is keeping quite a few farms in business and a lot of farmland in farming. But as the years have gone by, there are more and more CSAs that are connected with other different kinds of projects with other missions. And it's very, very interesting seeing what's developing. Um, one of the farms that I interviewed for this edition, Red Wiggler Farm, has a main mission of providing job training for uh, people who are um, developmentally um, backward in some way or other, who would have trouble getting other jobs. So they have um, these people come to the farm and learn how to grow food. And then they place them in jobs that are involved with landscaping or farming. So growing the shares and selling them to people in the community is a way of keeping the other project going or combining the two things. Um, there are any number of CSAs that are at schools, universities, even high schools, um, a way of providing training for young people in growing food and then getting some financial support for doing it. There's a 
wonderful project in the Boston area called the Food Project, where they bring um, youngsters from the suburbs, who are largely white and middle or upper middle class, together with youngsters from the inner city, who are Afro-American or Latino, to work together on their inner city gardens and also a farm out in the country where they grow enough food for something like 300 shares. And in this experience, these young people get to know one another and become friends across racial and economic barriers that usually keep people apart and also learn together to grow food and then help distribute that food to low-income people in the Boston area. So that's a CSA that is part of a project that's serving many wonderful functions. Now, have you noticed any recurrent themes in terms of obstacles, challenges, or limitations um, that keep coming up in the CSAs that you've been to and, and the people that you've spoken with? Well, there are obstacles of several different kinds. Um, quite a few of the CSAs are not farming on land that the farmers own or don't own entirely and don't have secure tenure on that land. As to run a CSA, you need to be fairly near a populated area, and in the populated areas in this country, land has become very, very expensive. Um, our farm does not belong to myself and my partners. We were able to work together with the Genesee Land Trust, a land trust in our area, which raised the money largely from the members of our CSA, purchased the farm, and now leases it to us with a 25-year rolling lease. So we have very long-term tenure on this land without having had to come up with the money to purchase it ourselves. So there are a number of CSAs around the country, and there's an excellent organization called Equity Trust, which um, provides technical assistance for farms that want to do what we have done and work with a land trust or work with a not-for-profit landowner or a church to get a lease on a piece of land um, so that their tenure is secure. Another kind of obstacle that many farms encounter is that to make a CSA run well, um, you have weekly pickups over a long stretch of weeks. We do 27 weeks. There are some farms in California that go as many as 50 weeks. So that's a long season to be working. Um, CSAs usually have a newsletter. They have a website. They provide recipes for the members. There are organizational challenges, and farmers are reluctant to ask their members for help. Because if you say to someone, would you have time to help me run my farm? Just about anyone you would ask that question of will say, well, no, I'm busy, I'm working, I have children, I have you know, two jobs, I'm playing tennis, whatever it is. People are too busy to help on a farm. 
But if you're a good organizer and you say to them, as we do, would you like to participate in a new, exciting kind of project that will help us create a sustainable future for the people in our region? And suddenly, these very, very busy people do have time. And once you get people involved in your farm project, they will give more than you could ever have imagined. So the members of RCSA contributed the $140,000 to buy our land. The members of one of the very first CSAs, the Temple Wilton CSA, helped the farm get purchase land and get tenure on the land that's secure. Um, the Brookfield Farm CSA members contributed a lot of the money so that they could build a new barn and distribution center for their CSA. So there are examples all over the country of CSAs that have asked a lot of their members and gotten more than they really expected. So farmers need to learn how to be organizers in order to run a CSA. And that is an obstacle, getting those organizational skills so that you can give people the opportunity to participate with you in creating a CSA farm. Okay. Um, is there a farm or CSA that particularly stands out in your mind as a interesting or as a as a poignant example of CSA? Well, I think there are some really wonderful examples on very different scales. Um, one of the very first CSAs, Willow Pond Farm up in um, Maine is run by a woman named Jill Agnew, and she has about 100 um, shares in her farm. The farm belongs to Jill and her family, and when it was the very first CSA in Maine um, 19 years ago, she had members from all over the state. And as more and more CSAs have sprung up around Maine, I think now there may be as many as 80, then she has been able to maintain the membership of her CSA, but the members have gotten closer and closer to the farm so that she is feeding people right in her immediate neighborhood. And I think that that's a, a really inspiring example to see that that can happen. Another outstanding CSA is um, Angelic Organics, which I think many people by now will have heard of because it's the farm of John Peterson, and he was able to have this wonderful documentary film made of his farm called The Real Dirt on Farmer John. Yeah, I, I interviewed John last week, actually. Uh-huh. Um, so his CSA has grown to, I don't know, something like 1,200 or maybe 2,000 shares in the Chicago area. And John has been able to train other people to do most of the farm work while he has been free to write several books, do that film, travel all around the world, and promote the film and go to um, film festivals where he's won prizes for his film. 
but the amount of training that he's provided for the people back home has been very impressive. And some of the people who started as members of the farm were so excited and inspired by the farm that they've created a growing not-for-profit, um, the CSA Learning Center and Angelic Organics, which now I believe has seven staff people. And this um, not-for-profit has its mission to help people in the inner city in Chicago start gardens and learn how to grow food for themselves. It brings people out to the farm for all kinds of workshops. It's inspired a food policy summit in the Chicago area and helped a food policy council get started in that area. So all kinds of good things have followed from John resurrecting his family farm. Now, it's very inspiring and exciting. Um, I'd kind of like to wrap up with a couple a couple of questions. Um, the first would be, what can concerned citizens and local communities do to support CSA? And I'm asking that from the perspective of someone who might not have ever heard of CSA or is just hearing about CSA for the first time. Um, what are one or two things that you would recommend a person do to get involved? Well, people could either go to the Robin Van N Center website at um, www.wilson.edu slash CSA Center and find a CSA farm near them, or they could get that from um, localharvest.org, which lists far CSA farms all over the country. And if there is no CSA near where people live, people could get together with a group of other um, consumers, non-farmers, and go out and find a farm that would be willing to produce for them. A very interesting project in Massachusetts started that way with a family that went to, heard a speech about um, the importance of buying local food and they couldn't find any in their neighborhood. So they created what is now the Farmer Direct Co-op in Marblehead, Massachusetts, which provides shares from for something like 350 families um, buying the food from several farms around the state of Massachusetts and having it trucked in and made up into shares for members in an area where there are very few farms. So there are lots of ways that people can support community-supported agriculture, learn about it, and become involved. Now, just to wrap up one last question, what's in store for PeaceWork Farm in the future? Um, I hope that we have set things up in such a way that younger people will be able to take over the farm as I and my partners retire. I'm in my 60s, and I'm thinking about cutting back on the amount of time I, have farm I spend farming, while our fourth partner is... Um, still in her 20s, and I'm hoping that we will be able to take on yet younger people so that we will keep a succession of farmers going here, and that the children of the people who are members of our farm will become members themselves. We have a few multi-generation uh, families who belong to the farm, and that this 
this farm will be sustainable and last for the foreseeable future. Well, I'd like to thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being with us. And I'd like to encourage people to get their hands on your book, especially now that you have a new edition coming out very soon so that they can learn more about CSA and read about the different CSAs around the country. And we hope all the best for you and the people at PeaceWork Farm. Okay, well, thank you very much. That does it for today's show and for our community-supported agriculture theme. Again, thank you, Elizabeth Henderson. And please go to the stores and get her book or get it online. It's called Sharing the Harvest. If you'd like to know more about community-supported agriculture, Thank you to all the people, Monty Skarsgård, John Peterson, Elizabeth Keene, and all the others who have helped make CSA a reality and who have shared their experiences with us on this show. Next, we'll be focusing on fair trade, fairly traded coffee, and all the issues surrounding that. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the AgroInnovations.com podcast. I'm Frank Aragona. Saludos. Saludos.